0: desire intensity focus what do you think about when you hear words like that i typically think of people honestly because that's where those emotions those those actions kind of take place when i think of business folks i think of people like vanderbilt bezos anna winter marissa mayer steve jobs When it comes to entertainers, the first person that came to my mind when I was thinking about these words was Daniel Day-Lewis. That guy is such an intense actor. Actually, Bruce Springsteen is another intense person in terms of his music. He was called the boss, and not for just any reason. He was called the boss. Taraja P. Henson, that young lady, is such a fantastic actress, She's so intense. Marlon Brando for you older people. you got to think about Marlon Brando. The guy was just crazy intense. We also can think about athletes. You know, Dick Butkus is my favorite. Oh, the guy was just a beast. Randy White of the Cowboys, Jack Lambert of the Pittsburgh Steelers. What about the ladies' volleyball team of Kerry Walsh and Misty May? John Elway, Michael Jordan, Monica Sellis, Muhammad Ali, a list of others. However, when we think about this idea of of desire, intensity, and focus, do we think much about that as being Christians? Now, I will say that sometimes it's you have a John Piper, or you have another maybe fire and brimstone pastor, but typically... It's a foreign concept to us when we think about that in terms of being Christians, isn't it? We mostly think of maybe, you know, mild mannered pastors, sweet church secretaries. Uh, perhaps you think of kind deacons, wise elders. Uh, maybe even priests and nuns come to mind, you know? Maybe we think of Jesus. I mean, you can think of Jesus in one way. There's $5 right there. <laughs> I'm going to just charge 10 for that one since I gave a (laughs) pre-announcement. Anyway, when we think of Jesus, we think of him as intense in one way and yet not in another. Now, Paul, Paul is a different character, isn't he? When you look into the passages of Paul, when you look at his letters, when you look in the book of Acts, you see a different sort of character. He is a person with tremendous desire, intensity, and focus for Christ. To Paul, Jesus was everything. And we know this from looking at his life, and even here in Philippians, there's like this big neon sign saying, Paul's intense, his desire is great, his focus is focused. In chapter 121, he stated, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He counted everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord but strikingly, as we will see in verses 15 through 17, He calls the Philippians and us to model ourselves after His pattern. His desire is for us to be desirable, in intensity, and focused on the things of Christ. So let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians three, twelve through 17 and see how He unfolds this pattern for us. Philippians 3, 12-17. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it on because Jesus Christ has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word I pray this morning in the power of the Holy Spirit that you would penetrate our hearts, help us to uh, know you better, Lord. In this, that is the call of this passage—to know you better. By your grace, may we may we do just that. In Christ's name, Amen. So, Paul is challenging us here; he is challenging us to press on. To be running the race of the Christian life till we reach the end. And then we will reach that reward that awaits us there. To unfold this, to unfold this thinking, I want to look at, first of all, the desire of the Christian life as shown by Paul, the intensity of the Christian life, which is lived out by Paul, and then also the focus of the Christian life, which is which is pushed on us by Paul. The desire of the Christian life, our first point. Look at verse 12 again. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has has made me his own. Now Christ has made Paul his own. He owns him. And he has called him. He has saved him. He has justified him. He has adopted him. He is sanctifying him in this passage and will bring him to a future glory. And Paul's desire was to, in turn, make Christ his own. So his his desire is flowing out of that which he already possesses which is very interesting isn't it he already possesses this and yet he wants it more he desires it more and he possesses it because Christ possesses him it's amazing so, his focus was set on knowing Jesus, that he may know him in the power of his resurrection, that he may share his sufferings, become like him in his death, that by any means possible he may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul was aiming for the attainment of the very purpose for which Christ called him to know him, to be like Christ be conformed to his image. And as he's doing that, to make him known. That was what Paul's desire was. That was his aim. To illustrate this desire, he draws our attention um, to what most of us would think of in terms of intensity and desire and focus, and that is with athletics. Picture with me a Greek stadium with those tier seating that surrounded uh, a, a, a course that would be in the middle where foot races would be be run. Think about the Greek athlete, the time, the training, the discipline, the attention, the passion, and that desire to win. He is describing here how hard the runner strives to win, how she would stretch every single muscle. The runner only thinks about one thing. He must win the race. That's what's going on here. And Paul is drawing our eyes to this in terms of our living the Christian life. The desire to press on to win. What is most interesting is the fact that Paul is keenly aware of the desire that actually comes from the fact that the race has already been won. But this in no way leads to the Christian being a spectator. So again, we have to think of it in those terms he has already received the prize. It's already his. It's in his grasp. But that doesn't, he doesn't believe that that gives him the, 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 the opportunity to sit around and to relax. He does not imagine a person sitting on a nice plush couch at home eating chips. Watching a race on TV. Yelling and screaming at the runner, run, run, you're going to get beat. He doesn't imagine someone sitting there going, what an idiot that guy is. He had that race won. What was he thinking? He started too fast. Or maybe he started too slow. That coach should have coached him better. That's not what Paul views the Christian life is about. What he views the Christian life is this. And let me say this to you. There is no such thing as a spectator Christian. There's not. One who comes and observes and watches what's going on, there's no such thing in Paul's mind as that. Even Paul, who seems so far ahead in his faith. If you thought about Paul in a race, he would be one of these guys that he's out there. He's so far ahead of the pack. I mean, when you read the Scriptures, it's amazing of his life. I mean, you think about it. To go and to travel, the travel that he did, to go across seas, to be in storms. I don't know that I'm signing up for that. Just telling you. To go to a people that he doesn't really know and to walk into those villages and to begin to debate the people at the synagogues. I don't know. I don't know if you want to sign me up for that. Paul, who talked about praying constantly, uh, continually for people, and he mentioned people by name and he prayed for them constantly. I'd like to think I'm a little bit there, but still, I'm not as good as Paul is. Do you see the point? Paul, who would be so far ahead, thinks, I'm not there yet. I am not there yet. I have not arrived. And he was actually confessing that here, wasn't he? He's basically saying, I'm not the perfect Christian. I am not the perfect Christian, and yet I'm still pressing on for the win." He may also have been confessing this to press a point against false teaching, and we could talk about that. But the issue is that Paul's great desire for the Philippians and for us is that we get in the race and press on and keep pressing on in the Christian life, yearning to be like Christ, to know him, and to fellowship with him. This is his desire. He's saying, I want you to know him. I want you to have that desire. And so the question is this, what would keep us from this race? What would keep us from pressing on? One thing I can think of is that you're not even in the race. Why is that? Because you're not in Christ. Has he picked you and made you his? His? Or are you just playing around at being a Christian? Do you know the difference? Do you wake up at least some mornings and think how great the Lord is? Before you uh, step into a sin that you think about committing, do you stop and say, You know, I love the Lord, He's my God? Or do you just live life without any thought of the Lord? without any thought of your sin, without any thought of loving others. And then I would say, do you really know him? Do you really know him? If this is you, if you're just playing around at being a Christian, if this is you here this morning, hear his call. He is calling and saying, come, be a part of my team. You ever you remember in junior high? I don't know if any of you guys ever did this. I remember junior high. And um, when I was a youth pastor at Trinity, uh, we would always pick up teams and everything. And this little girl told me one time, she goes, I hate these things. I hate them. Because even in junior high, I was always the last person to get picked. So from then on, I always picked her first. (laughs) If I got a chance to. Jesus doesn't pick us last. He picks us and he says, I want you to be a part of my team. And he picks some of the strangest people. I mean, some of you folks are strange. <laughs> he loves us though, doesn't he? Yes, he does. So I would ask you, if you're here this morning, you're just not sure to hear his call and come and commit, begin the race by committing to him and saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow you. I'm going to follow you. I'm, I'm going to follow you. Another thing that might keep us from this race is the whole mentality of fire insurance only. You know what that mentality is? is? I've been saved, I'm good. That's not in Paul's understanding here. Do you see that? It's not in Paul's understanding. I'm saved, I'm good. Sure he's saved. Sure it's good. But he's saying press on. Press on. Don't look back at I'm preaching ahead here, but don't look back at what the things you've done before. Look at Jesus. Keep going. Another hindrance might be distraction. We have so many things going on, so many diversions, we can forget to run the race. We take our eyes off the most important thing. The one thing that really matters is to live for Jesus. I don't, listen to me, I don't just say that because we're in church, okay? I mean it. I mean it for me. I'm preaching to my heart as well as yours. The one thing that really matters is Him. Now, there's a lot of things that matter after Him, but the one thing is Him. And from Him flows all the other things. So don't lose sight. What might we do to capture a yearning for Him? What keeps us from the great desire of Jesus? Evaluate yourself. Take some time this week and sit down and look at this passage again and say, do I desire to be like Christ? Do I desire to know Him? Do I desire to fellowship with Him? And commit then to not losing sight of the one thing. The desire of Jesus. All right, so what else does he tell us? Secondly, he tells us about the intensity of the Christian life. So there's not just desire here, that desire is there for Paul, but there's a great intensity that he has. Look at verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies. behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. So what Paul's doing is he's moving from the desire of the Christian life of Jesus, uh, uh, Christian life in Jesus, to the manner of the Christian life. And he calls us to an intensity for Christ. Again, understand the context. God has begun a good work in Paul and he will continue to do that. So the assurance of this unity with Jesus leads not to complacency or passivity, but to activity. He states again, whether for emphasis to really grab your attention or maybe again to speak against false teachers, he says, I do not consider that I have made it my own. No, I don't. It's not my own yet. I'm still going this is but you have to understand this is not works righteousness he's already saved it's christ that he wants here more and more of christ so christ jesus has already made his own so how does he do this what manner of intensity does he have look at what he says in verse 12 there or 13 he says one thing i do paul's single minded approach To living is stated at the beginning of this verse, you know, at the beginning of verse 14, press on. But then he tells us here how he does this the one thing I do. And it comes in two phrases. It's very interesting. It's just one thing I do, but let me tell you the two phrases because these two are so intricately tied together. This is the manner in which he does. Number one, on the one hand, he forgets what lies behind him, he forgets it. In the previous verses of this chapter, he recounted all his pre-Christian reasons for confidence, and he counted them as loss. It's possible in this passage that he was even thinking about his achievements and gains as a believer in Jesus, the ways in which he had already advanced in the knowledge of Christ. In other words, he wasn't going to sit back and be content with past grace, but was pressing on to experience more. He doesn't look back at the ground he's already covered, or even his opponents. His whole life is focused on the finish line of the race for Christ, which is the reason why he's straining forward. He wants Jesus. Kent Hughes tells the story of the Miracle Mile. How many of you folks have ever heard of the Race of the Miracle Mile? A few people have, okay? It was August 7, 1954 the British Empire Games in Vancouver, Canada. And there were two runners that were running in this race. Um, The only two runners that really mattered, unless someone was injured, but the two runners that mattered in this race were Roger Bannister, who was a British runner, and Aussie John Landy. And they were the only two human beings at that point who had uh, sub-four-minute milers in the world. The first one to ever do it was Roger Bannister that was recorded. There could be somebody out there that did it long before him, but it wasn't recorded in a race. So Banner um, did this, Bannister did this, and then six weeks later, Landy broke the, 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 the record. And so as they met here in August, on August 7th in 1954, as they would say the race was on, everybody, the whole world was watching this race. Who of these two guys is going to come out ahead? Now Bannister strategized that he would relax during the third lap and he'd save everything to the end. So that was kind of his strategy. But as they began the third lap, the Aussie poured it on and he was stretching the lead. And he was already pretty far ahead. And so Bannister had to abandon his his thinking because he, he, he was already falling behind and he knew I won't be able to catch him. And so he sped up too. As they came around toward the end of the last lap, he was on his heels. Bannister was right behind Landy, and they ran around the track. I even watched it the other night just to see this race because I'd never seen it before. And so they're going around the track, and as they come around that one spot in the turn where there's, you know, about whatever, it's the last turn, okay? And so as they come around that corner, the crowd erupts because they're seeing this race unfold before their eyes, and they're so it's like, this is incredible. They're right beside each other almost. I mean, Bannister is really right behind him. Guess what Landy did? He turned his head like this. Bannister flew by him. Beat him by five yards. He couldn't hear his footsteps. He wondered where he was. So he looked back. That's exactly what Paul's talking about here, isn't it? Don't look back. Don't do it. Don't look back at what you've covered. Don't look back at the things that you were. Don't look back at the things you've done. Forget it. Forget it. And when we talk about this looking back, let me give you an example. Baptism. When we come to this table and when we come to do the sacrament of baptism, we're almost compelled to look at our own baptism. And we look at our baptism in this way. And this is how I think Paul would, would look back. Is he would look at that baptism and he would say, the Lord did incredible things in my life and He saved me and He washed me. He would never have us look back and say, I was baptized, I'm good. I'm good, let's... You know, I'm good. Like I said before, I've had guys tell me before, you know, in the midst of talking about their sin, well, I'm just glad I'm baptized. I'm all good. That's not what Paul's talking about there. So we forget our past in terms of any sin that holds us down. We forget about the, the, the great strides we've made in the past that maybe we're not thinking about now. And we focus on what's ahead, which is what he pulls to next. He strains forward to what lies ahead. And what is this that, he, that lies ahead? Listen, it is the future hope and grace promised to Christians that Paul focuses on. And he says, live in light of this. Live in light of Him, head. Thanking Him for the past. Thanking Him for saving you. But not just dwelling there, but moving on toward maturity. What are some of the good things that we might need to forget so that we can focus on continually growing in grace? What may some of the bad things be that keep us from growing in grace? What kind of Christian lives would we live if the future is totally in our sights? It is easy, isn't it, to get exhausted. It is easy to lose focus and to simply go through the motions or, and even mail in what it looks like to be a believer in Christ. Some of us just sit back and we think, I just hope this gets over soon. Maybe some here would say, I, I don't even know if I can win the race. Why try? Listen, we live the Christian life by straining towards the end that God has for those in Christ Jesus. We strain forward to that. Now in this last section here, he's going to talk about what that is. So I want you to think about it. Your desire is there. Your intensity is there. What is that desire and intensity about? Focus. The focus of the Christian life. Look at verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. We live the Christian life by straining towards the end, by focusing on God and all that He has for those in Christ Jesus, which is what? What does He have for us? It is the great prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, as I was studying, I came across um, Alex in Alec Mortier's uh, commentary, uh, a paragraph by him. And I, I, I read this like four or five times, and I was like, this is so incredible. Listen to what he says here. So he talks about this, this upward prize, uh, or this great prize of the upward calling, Christ Jesus. And listen how he explains it. Sometimes a thing is all the more impressive for being left Undescribed. Paul tells us neither what the goal is, nor what the prize will be. Yet, suddenly, the earthly scene with all its strivings and sufferings and sacrifices is suffused with a heavenly glory. One scriptural picture after another fills and elevates the mind. The Lord's own well done, good and faithful servant. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award us on that day. The unfading crown of glory, gift of the chief shepherd. The privilege above all, that is, servants that should worship Him. See His face, have His name written on their foreheads. The blood cleansed robes, and the unending presence of the Lord. All this, and in addition, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor heart of man conceived, what God has prepared for those who love him. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that is just a glimpse of the prize. Isn't it incredible? That is just a glimpse. He doesn't describe it here. But all throughout the Scripture, it unfolds for us as we read it. Do you understand as as that focus comes? What he's saying here is focus on the things that are promised. Can you you imagine it? Can you imagine it? C.S. Lewis puts it this way. In the last battle, beautiful... Last battle. The end of all things in that story that he wrote. uh, Chronicles of Narnia. He says, I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. This is the land I have been looking for all my life. Though I never knew it till now. Come further up. Come further in. Can you imagine what it will be like? I can see Paul writing these words and he's writing these words and he has a twinkle in his eye and he has this knowing smile on his face and he's saying, come and imitate me as I follow him. Grow in grace and maturity and hold on to what you have attained and press on. We're going someplace special with a little desire, a little intensity, and focus on the prize. We'll get there. So come on. And so the question is this will you run this race? Will you run this race with Paul and with John and with Peter and Timothy and Clement and Polycarp, Tertullian and Augustine and Anselm and Luther and Calvin and Edwards and Hodge and Machen? And Murray and Schaefer and Graham and Swanson and Carmen and Enzer and Morgan and Lenz. Will you do that? Here's the thing, and the great thing about this race is this we're not alone. We have people that we can imitate. And they're not those runners that are out there running so far ahead that we know, I'll never keep up with them. It doesn't say how fast we're to run. It just says run, doesn't it? And we have one another to help us along the way. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is the glory of Christ. So come, let us press on together. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your love and mercy to us. I ask that You would bless us, Lord, with desire, with intensity, and with focus to live out our Christian lives before You. The watching world will be watching as they always do. And we pray that many would see the race and see the worthy prize and take off with us. But Lord, many more would jeer us and make fun of us and, and not join us, Lord. And for that, I pray that You would have mercy on them. Lord, give us Give us that desire and intensity and focus of Paul that we may indeed press on to that wonderful prize of Christ Jesus and all that awaits us in His kingdom. I thank You. In Christ's name, Amen. Let's stand and sing as we prepare our hearts for the table.